because Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Not bad, but Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Really big Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Sorry, it's always not, it's not enough. <laughs> it's just not enough at the beginning. Okay, it's, Greg said I like it when it bleeds your eardrums. That's exactly right. So I'm going to one more time. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> That's it. Thank you very much. All right. Now I do have a gift for you. I mean, an amazing gift, and it comes out of the scripture that we looked at last week. If you didn't see last week's sermon, be sure and watch it. It's not just about Christmas. It's very much about, uh, I've had so many uh, people that have contacted me and said, oh my gosh, that just makes all the difference. So God is giving us three gifts out of one passage this year. For Christmas. And all right. So now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. Okay? Now, last week what we did was peace. And like I say, see it. And this week, we're very much going to be building off of what we did. You'll still get it if you weren't here. But we're very much going to be building off of what we did. But the one that we're doing today is goodwill. And the question that we're asking today is, what is God's goodwill towards us? And let me say something. In this body with the really incredible Christians that we have. Here we have all ages of Christianity in here. But of the incredible Christians we have in here, if I asked you what's his goodwill towards us, we would in a fairly quick time period figure out what that was. And we would all sort of all have known that. And we'd go, oh yeah, that's it. I got it. And that really is. Because we'd come up with a few things that weren't it. That, that seemed like it's it. Because if you think about Christianity religiously, if you think about it like we did last week and we were looking at how it's not really about sin and so on, you can get focused there and then you go to deeper places. and deep, But we would get there and understand the answer to this question. But here's the point for today. We can answer that question and not actually know the answer. <laughs> we can answer that question correctly and not actually know what it is that this thing really is. We're going to show, we're going to see how there's a thing about us that causes us to not understand the truth, the depth, the richness of what really is there. And by not doing it, we end up living in all of the lesser of it, which is the religion of it, which truthfully, I want to make this clear, is actually a lie. It's not that it doesn't have truth in it, but when you locate here, it's actually not the right place, and it'll twist you up and mess you up until you get to where it actually is. And when you get to where it actually is, then it's like, oh my gosh, what a gift. You're free. It's unbelievable. 
So I cannot wait to bring you this gift. And I, there is a gift in my life. Glenn Carlson, you are, you're not the guy? You, you shook your head no. I'm like, no, you really are a gift. I'm like, are you not praying? What happened there? But seriously, man, I mean, how many years has it been? And you're just an amazing man. Uh, this is perfect. Would you please pray for the sermon, lift up another church too. Sure. So Heavenly Father, thanks so much for this opportunity to be here. And thanks for Kurt. And just thanks for his commitment to, to all of us um, and his, his dedication. It's been, a, it's been quite a ride. And uh, we lift up his sermon. I pray that you would uh, lead him and guide him as he goes through um, his subject matter. Thank you for all of his preparation. I know he's very committed to this. Um, for all of us, I pray for a lot of aha moments uh, throughout the sermon that we Amen. can apply to our lives and, uh, and apply to our loved ones. Um, Thank you, Lord. I'd just like to lift up um, Seattle Union Gospel Mission. Um, Sunday mornings for them, just an amazing time. Just pray you'd bless them. Also pray that you'd bless all of their many, many ministries and all the lives that they're touching. In Jesus' name. Is Scott Chen here today? Scott Chen is at Union Gospel Mission now, and he is rocking it as always. And I am so proud of you. Is like that's not like even getting to the half of it. You know what I mean? I love that you are working in that ministry. You're an amazing man. You're the perfect person to make such a difference in this. Very cool. All right, what's God's will towards us? All right, now we're gonna we're we're God's got us on a journey today. There's four steps on the journey. Okay. The first one is his purpose before he ever created us. In other words, why did he create us? So go ahead. What would you say? Why did he create us? This is pretty simple. Relationship, right? I mean, this, this is the one we should get quickly here, particularly here because this is what we so major on because it is the right emphasis on the right syllable, right? Now, God who is love... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is in relationship with each other and loving it so much that it just grows out of him almost. All of creation just is the natural extension of this incredible thing that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are experiencing in themselves, amongst themselves. You see it? So creation is simply him creating more to be one with him. Which is to say he created us to share the absolute fullness of that love with him. And the key words in that statement is the absolute fullness. Because, here's, now this is, watch this, this is going to be sort of the theme that we're going to be working throughout. We think we understand God's love for us because we love somebody and they love us. And so we project from that God's love. Plus we have a relationship with him, most of us. And if you don't, great day to find that. But the bottom line is, is that we have this relationship with God. And then what happens is, is that we feel that love and we know our love towards him. And we think that this is the love he's talking about. And in a very real sense, it is. It's just only about one ten billionth of it in truth. The love that we feel right now is so less than what it really is. That it's almost not a difference in degree, but in kind. Let me show you what I'm talking about. No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, and no mind has imagined. Now this is talking about what God has prepared, but I just want to say, 
what's really going on, what's really coming. Nobody, ha- you can't even imagine it. You can't take the corollaries that you have and project them forward and come up with even remotely close to the fullness of what is going to be there for those who love him. Now watch, here's, here's what I mean. This is Yellowstone National Park and this is the signed Yellowstone National Park. Now you could go to Yellowstone National Park by going to that sign and you could say, I'm here. The sign says I'm here, I'm here, and I'm looking around and like, you know, Clark Griswold at the Grand Canyon, yep, yep, okay, and then walk away and think, I've seen it, I know it, right? But you don't, not even close. Now, there are things that God gives us in this life. Remember, everything that he created points towards him. That sign isn't Yellowstone National Park, that sign points to Yellowstone National Park. And there is in creation, and there is even in that moment, there is stuff that you know that you can project forward and is going to be in that park in a cool way. So there is some things that we can project forward on. For example, you've seen a waterfall before, right? And all of them are uniquely beautiful. Waterfalls are one of my favorite things, right? You... This is so does not do it justice. I would have to make it as big as this whole stage and fill it up so that you can see nothing but that is so massive, so huge, so far, so beautiful. I mean, you can, you can sit there for an hour and just watch it. And it's, you've been this maybe up to the falls up here, Snoqualmie Falls, when it's going really big and it's just like, you're just like mesmerized into it. Well, so you've seen a waterfall before, and you can project that, okay, there's a cool waterfall in there. I got it. But the thing about Yellowstone is you see things that you've seen before, but they're in different ways than you know them. Because everybody has seen a bear, but you've never seen one like this. (laughs) And, And this happens all the time in Yellowstone. Okay, I'm telling you, there's always a few tourists every single year who get killed because they try and feed the bear, right? You know what I mean? I mean, you just don't see that. You're not just driving around downtown Bellevue and you park and all of a sudden, here, you know, it's parking a light and here comes this bear, you know, okay? Boy, lots of jokes come to mind. Okay, but then there's other things that you don't see anywhere else. Think about it. See, what we're talking about is there's things about heaven. There's things about God. There's things about love. There's things that are there that are real. And until you see them, you just don't have any way of really understanding them. Because here, this isn't exactly that, but it's pretty close. This is Old Faithful. And Old Faithful, which, by the way, let me say is old and had an earthquake, so it doesn't work quite like it used to, but, you know. But... But when you, when you get up close, you see this. Look at the, you just can't even believe the power of this thing. Yes, it was that joke. And so, yes, okay. So, but you can just see that there's just this incredible, it, it is striking. But then there's just, literally, I, I tried to figure out how many slides should I do. Because there's so many things. But I think this one's sort of, you ever seen anything like that before? Maybe in a picture? But have you ever seen a thing like that up live? The water coming out of, not, not that one particularly, but there's other ones that are, that, are, that one's large enough. There's other ones that when you, 
if you fall into it, it instantly, your skin just falls off. It just bakes you, it's just that fast. And there's just like, there's no hope. You don't even reach in to try and grab them. It just cooks you. That's just how hot it is. And it's gorgeous. And it's mind-bending. It's like, that's just so beautiful and different. And what we're trying to go after is, see, as human beings, we have this trait, which is to, and God made us to be able to think about things that we don't know. And that's called anthropomorphize. There's other ways of describing it, but this is one that most people know, so I'm using it. You attribute human characters to, to behavior to a God. We anthropomorphize God. We make him in our image instead of understanding who he really is. We do it with an animal when they act a certain way. We project what their emotion and their meaning is. And actually, interestingly, sometimes it actually is fairly accurate. Sometimes it's completely inaccurate. You, your poodle is not nearly as cute as you think. No. So, uh, <laughs> just a joke. Love dogs. Love cats more, but love dogs. Uh, okay. So, characteristics are behavior. But, but here's the point, see. We project what is to come from what is from what we know. That's how we are as human beings. That's how our brains work. That's how our understanding works. We cannot know something that we cannot know. It's beyond us to know that. There's no way to inter interact with it. There's no way to understand it. There's no way to conjure it. So what we do is, is we project from what we know. That's the principle that we're trying to kill today. Because everything that God is trying to communicate to us is ultimately beyond what we can know. He's given us some corollaries. There's a waterfall here and there, and there's a thing here and there where we can connect but ultimately, what he needs us to do, what we need to remember in order to keep our theology right, in order to keep our walk right, in order to keep our heart right with God is we need to understand that everything that he's showing us in this world is just a sign. It's not the thing. As much as it feels like the thing. As much as it has some commonality with the thing. It's just the sign pointing you to a deeper thing. Got it? Think about it this way. See, no eye knows here. No mind has imagined what God has prepared for him. This is what he's trying to get across to us. So he's got a problem. His purpose is to be with us. Can I just say something? Um, If everybody would always remember in every single moment of their lives that God's purpose was to be with you. It's not about the sin. It's not about the mistakes. It's not about the errors. It's not about the failures. It's not about the less. It's not about the, it's not, it's not about, it's not about you ultimately in a sense where you, the way we think of it, that I have to do something. It's about him wanting to be with you. If we would just remember that, it totally changes most of your theology right there. Most of your understanding and most of your Christian walk. That doesn't mean there's not a problem. The problem is, it's not, the, the, his problem is not the one we think of, which is sin. Separation. That's what we think of because that's what religion is. It's not actually that. Now watch. 
See, last week, we did the sin thing. Here's the cottonwood tree. That's the old nature. There's a problem with it. It's been separated from God. It's hollowed out. It's dead inside. There's a new nature that is planted inside of there. And then it grows up into a new tree. And that is God's nature. And what we said was, theologically, everyone who's been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He's not able to sin. Now, this is what we did last week in part. He's not able to sin because he's been born of God. He's got God's nature. This is God's nature. That red oak tree that's in there isn't able to sin. It's God's nature. Now, that was a big revelation last week. This is an important moment. But here's the thing that I want us to get a hold of. Between his new nature between his new nature, his nature, the new creation of Jesus on the cross, sin is not the problem. That's what we learned last week. Sin is not the problem. But it turns out it's not the next thing that you would think either. Watch this. The law was a tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. No, 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 no. Before Paul says that, before Jesus comes, the law is the way. The sign is the truth. Not the, it's not pointing to something else. The law is the thing. Do you see it? The sign is the thing. So what we do in religion, when we live religiously, is what we do is, is that we think, what I have to be is I have to live up to the law. And for 2,000 years or 1,500 years while they had the law, people would try and get right with God by living according to the law. And even when Messiah came, they never thought of it as any differently than you still have to maintain the law. Do you remember after Jesus comes that there's a really big problem with people understanding what the, new, what the law is all about now? There's all kinds of arguments. Paul has to rebuke Peter to his face for not understanding because they keep trying to put themselves back under the law. <laughs> and Paul has to come along. Paul's the one who comes along and says, it ain't about the law. The law, in fact, was just a sign. And what was it trying to point to? You need help. Because <laughs> you can't fulfill it. Nobody was able to fulfill it. You can't fulfill it. You need a savior. That's the thing. The sign, the, 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 the law is not the point. It's the thing that's the thing. Do you see it? It's pointing you. Now, this is the same way that we live in our lives right now. We live in a certain place, not understanding that the place that we're living is not the problem. Now, I know I've got quizzical looks. You all get it, but you're all getting, why is he being so adamant about this? So watch this. In order to truly be in relationship with God, we have to be like him as much as possible. We actually have this totally wrong idea in our heads. We think that who we are now is as much as is possible to be like him because we were made in his image. Who you are now is not even close. Not even close. Even as a new creature to a degree. Watch. Does this mean the creator has to reduce himself to become like a Christian? If God is going to have a relationship with you, and he's this, and you're this, 
How are you going to have a relationship? You can't. So there's only one of two ways you can do it. Either God has to come down to become like you, in which case now you could have a relationship. And in fact, God does that, right, in Jesus. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born a human being. But do understand, that wasn't the end of it. God didn't come and make himself as a person and then just live with us. What did he do? He came down to raise us up. He came down to show us what it is. No, the way that God makes us one with him so that we can be in relationship with him, it's not that he comes down, it's that he comes down to grab us so that he can raise us up. The creator has to raise his creation to be increasingly like him. Now, remember the word increasingly. Now, I'm going to do something some of you have seen from many years ago. Watch. This is the story of Pinocchio and Geppetto. And Pinocchio and Geppetto, Pinocchio is an allegory from an Italian writer that was Disneyfied. But even in the Disney version, back, back in the days when Disney would hold true to things that were Christian. By the way, let me say something really weird. The more I worked on this, the more I realized even Dumbo is getting a live action remake. Everything in the Disney catalog gets worked and reworked, right? Why haven't they ever touched Pinocchio? Why is that the one? There's, there's people in here that, has, is there anybody in here who's never really heard the story of Pinocchio? I mean, actually heard the story? I wondered if there would be younger people, because why would you even see it? You know about it and the nose growing and stuff like that. But just think about it. Here's the point. Of all the Disney things, this is an allegory about Christ, God, Christianity. The whole thing, start to finish. Even in the Disney version. Watch. The creator is working in fine detail on the creation. And in order to make it as much as it can possibly be, he's working it and reworking it and fine-tuning it. And, he's and the more that he works with it, the more that he falls in love with his creation. Have you ever created anything? A book, a story, a, whatever you've created, right? Music, whatever it is. The more that you work on it, the more in love you fall with it, right? There's some point in time at which it drives you crazy, you know, until you really get it, and then it becomes love again. That's kind of like marriage. Okay, now, so, so what I want you to see, though, and watch the allegory, I'm just, I'm going to show you right now the heart of what's wrong with Reformation theology, what we call Calvinism. This is the heart of it right here. It's in this allegory. Intentionally, by the way, by the author. See, when the thing is dead, the only way you can dance with it, the only thing you can have any kind of interaction or relationship with it, is you pull the strings. You have to tell the dummy what to do. <laughs> That's reformed. You have the illusion of free will. But he's orchestrated everything and he's just pulling your strings. And here's the point. Is that a relationship? It just is not. Period. So what's got to happen? Well, something's got to happen where, you know, there's this desire to have relationship on the part of the creator. And sure enough, a miracle happens. 
a, a lump of clay gets breathed into and becomes a living being. And as a living being, it can now have a relationship with the creator. And the creator loves this, as does the creation, hopefully. And then they begin to, this one sec, dance. Now see what a different dance that is? There's the dance. This is the two of them. They can have a relationship now, right? Yes, better than the one where it was dead. But there's still a problem. In order for that creation to truly be like the creator, there has to be another element that has to be introduced. This is where Geppetto is telling Pinocchio, you have to go off and learn things now. And so he does. The key is autonomy. We can't have a relationship with someone who doesn't have autonomy, which is to say free will. And so Pinocchio goes off and gets lured by all kinds of wonderful looking circus and everything else. And there is in the allegory the satanic figure that is pointing him towards ever more glittery things. And it eventually ends us in bondage. We're imprisoned. Now here, this is the same mistake that Adam made, by the way. But watch this. What we do when we get into bondage is we try and make it someone else's fault. <laughs> we tell a lie. We don't understand. We don't admit to the truth of our own behavior that got us there. And so when you tell a lie, it starts to distort you. In fact, when you become a liar, when you become somebody who is not owning you actually become a distortion of what you were created to be. You see the jackass that's been added? That's the allegory. Understand it. That's what the author is saying we've become. Okay? Now what happens is, thank God he continues to love us. Thank God he continues to search for us all the time. He comes after us. We're stuck in bondage. He comes after us. And one day we find each other. He, not we find each other, excuse me. He finds us. And this is a glorious time, right? This is so wonderful. He's saved from the bondage. He's everything else. And he's, he's saved. But watch. Is, so Pinocchio was saved. That's awesome. We got saved. That's awesome. But how does that make us like the creator? That our sins have been forgiven, that we've been saved from the bondage that we were in. Does that make us like the creator? We're still a wooden figure. In fact, and in truth, there's still sort of a donkey aspect to us. It does not and it cannot. So the creator has to make the creation much more fully like the creator. Now here's, if you don't hear me right right now, I'm going to speak blasphemy. If you hear me right, it's going to be revelation that will help free you. We've already said last week that this whole thing is not about your sin at all. It's about the new creation. This week I'm going to say something even more radical. 
The real problem is not only not about sin, like we learned last week. It's not even about salvation. Not really. That's what we think. I was a sinner and now I'm saved. And that's the end of it for us. That's not the end of it for God. Because even though we're saved, we're still wooden figures. We're still distorted. There's still something we haven't been raised up. It's about God making us something that can truly be in relationship one with him. That's what's really going on here. So here's the wooden figure in bed dead. Pinocchio has died in the storm and it's like us, we're dead now. But then God does a miracle. Breathes into us and now the wooden figure becomes a real boy. Oh my gosh, look at this. And he comes to the creator and the creator rejoices that the boy has become like the creator. The creation has become like the creator and now they can really dance. See it? That's what it's about. Did you know that? Do you think about that? Is that what you think in your day? That what it's all about is God wanting to dance with you? Is that how you process your Christianity? Because I can tell you, that's not how most people process their Christianity. Do you understand that what it's really all about, it's not about that sin, it's not even about getting saved. It's about God wants to dance with you. God wants to interact with you. God wants to be with you. He wants you to be like him so that you two can be together. Right? Amen. This is the great news. <laughs> but now watch, there is a problem. Um, uh, let's do Zach and, and Greg can you three come up and I know you don't want to but yeah come on up okay I'm sorry I'm forgetting your name uh, Madeline. Madeline I knew that and I was afraid to say it okay so come on now these guys I didn't ask them beforehand I usually do that I just forgot this time it was a busy morning his tech problems got me okay now this is God this is the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit does it work for you okay yeah. So this is God, all right? Now, God loves each other. He loves them. He loves, and they love one another, and they have this great relationship. And, and, and then God, because he loves this so much, he makes, he makes more like me. And his hope is that me, as a created being from him, would say, oops, would say, Praise you, Lord, for creating me, for loving me. I love you and worship you. His heart is, is that we be like this and that we be dancing. <laughs> Was that good twerking? Okay. Please don't twerk. <laughs> don't be twerking. Okay. All right. You get it? Lord, help him. See? <laughs> All right. So this is, what, this is what it's supposed to be. This is what he wanted. But if you give somebody genuine autonomy... If you give them real free will, because you can't be in God's image unless you have real free will. That's one of the most outstanding characteristics of God. Right? Nothing binds him. Nothing bounds him. He's free. He can do anything he wants. So we can also say, I'm like God, worship me. Now, Just stay here for one more second. This is
this isn't an abstract statement by God. This happened. Because he was showing the world what the problem was and what he was creating in mankind. There's an angel that God loved. God made the angels. And he loved this one particular angel. There's another passage I could be using. But it talks about his love for this particular angel. The beauty of this particular angel. And this angel that he loved, I ordained and anointed. The key word here is anointed. What does anointing mean? Taking part of who God is and putting it in me. That's what anointing is. I anointed you, Lucifer, as the mighty angel's guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created. This is the response of, thank you for creating me. I'm in love with you. We're dancing together. We're having a relationship. But he gave that angel genuine free will until day evil was found in you. Violence was found in you is the way, again, that it says it in the other passage that talks about this. Violence was found. And what was the violence? I'm like God, worship me. See, angels, angels, here's God, here's Lucifer. Well, let me not do that. You need to get you a mannequin. You need to get a mannequin, she said. But here's, right? A third of you end up being fallen because of me. I say I'm like God worship me and a third of you do. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. Now, the problem with that is, let's be clear. If the angel was exactly and truly God... There's no problem with that. God doesn't have a problem with that. The problem is the angel is still a created being. There's always a difference between the creator, God, and any of his creation. He's still trying to make us as much like him as possible, but in the end, he cannot make us anything but created. So there's always something less. And what that means is when you worship the wrong God, you worship a God that can't do for you what God wants to do for you. Who he really is. You worship something else and it takes you away from him who's got a great plan, life for you, a great dance. Do you see it? So there's the problem. What's the one point and only point of this life? It, it, we still think that this life means something. If we could just divorce ourselves from that idea completely, if we could just finally understand that this life is nothing except for one thing, will you ultimately choose to be with him? Let's say it better. Will you ultimately love him? Are you going to love him in the dance? Or are you going to become something else? Anything else? If you do become something else, then God has shown you through Lucifer how come he cannot give you part of himself. Because it harms you and everybody you touch. The original creation in Adam was not even close to what God actually had in mind ultimately. We can get into an argument about, did God mean us to sin in the garden? Here's the answer. 
No more so than any father of any two-year-old could ever want anything bad to ever happen to that child. No father, no mother has ever wanted that child to know anything of good and evil, right? And can you have a relationship with that child? Absolutely. And is it pure and innocent and incredible? Absolutely. But there is this other thing. He cannot anoint us with his nature until he knows it won't harm us. Until he and we know that our choice is holy and totally for him. Until he and we know that we love him wholly and totally. And here's the key. No matter what. I said something about, I'm going to say two, three months ago. I said a sermon that I thought was a very important sermon, and that was that I think there's a new season coming of evangelism. Do you remember that at all? I said there's going to be a new spirit of evangelism and that God's going to do miracles. And I'm already seeing all kinds of miracles happen. But I didn't catch the thing that is happening right now. That is where I think we're going, and it is happening. But there is something that's also happening that is paradoxical, and that is this. Now listen really carefully. This is where I'm going from preaching to meddling. This is where I'm going from abstract, where we've been talking about, to real in your life. My parents being a great example of this. I think that Christians are going through some of the most difficult times that they're going to go through right now. I think there are challenges in relationships, the whole division thing that's taking place. In a host of areas, I think that there are challenges going on all over the place for Christians. And we are crying out for ourselves to be delivered from them. And here's the key. God is not delivering. Why? And my dad, I hope he doesn't watch this, my dad on the phone. God, God has always helped always saved, always healed. My dad has had more healings through his prayers than any person I know. God has always met. I'm not saying they've never had hard times, but I'm just saying God has healed him from a brain tumor, from all kinds of stuff. God, it's been an extraordinary life. And now he has moments of despair that are total. I have no hope. Now, he believes Christ and he does have hope, so don't misunderstand. But what he's trying to describe is the depth of the challenge that he's going through. And I think a lot of people are going through things similarly. Maybe not quite that deep, but there's a why aren't you delivering me from this? I'm with a friend the other day. We're at dinner. He's talking to me about another friend of his who used to be a missionary foreign country something happens missionary comes home has to come home and eventually the missionary completely loses their relationship with God to the point that he's with at dinner with my friend and says you pray and I'll just live my life and I'm telling you there'll be no difference between our lives If that's how you're going to feel, 
when the chips are down, when things are tough, can you say, let's be real, can you say that you choose him? Can you say that you love him? When God is not answering your prayer for health, for relationship, for finances, for what? When God is not answering your prayer, do you lose your love for Christ? The scriptures tell us that in the end, the love of many will grow cold. And remember, that's right at the same place in the scriptures where it says a whole bunch of Christians are being killed horribly. And they go and they're now a great cloud of people before the Lord. And here's what they're saying to him. How much longer? What happened to me was so devastating, was so horrible. How much longer? So do Christians experience difficulties? Let me just, let me really challenge you here. I don't think you can know whether or not you really love God unless you've been severely challenged. You can love God as a child loves God because there's, the parent's going to protect them, right? What happens when you get a little bit older and you start seeing differences than that? Do remember we have to get back to a childlike faith. But do remember that what's going on here I'm not prophesying that you're going to go through some really hard things. I, don't, I hope you don't. But what I can tell you is, is that I think we're in an interesting season where there's a lot of challenges going on on a lot of levels. And the thing that I believe the Lord is trying to say to you in this part of the sermon very strongly is, I need you to continue to choose me, to continue to trust me, to continue to love me. And by the way, you've heard me say this before. Whenever you're in a really bad challenge and you hear what I just said, then you think, oh, it's just a test. I can hold on because it's just a test. Here's the truth about truly being tested. It'll last longer than what you can put up with that kind of argument. It'll last longer. It'll last until you don't think of it as a test anymore. You think of it as your life. That's when you're really dealing with how you're going to be. Do you see it? Are you really going to choose him? Are you really going to love him? No matter what. When you're the person who's going to choose him and love him no matter what, guess what else you are? You're the vessel that he can put as much as he wants of himself into. Because <laughs> it isn't going to corrupt you. It isn't going to mess you up. It isn't going to harm you. In fact, it's going to light you up. And it's going to make you a light to other people. And it's going to show them the way to truth and to better and to God. You see it? Choice and love. What's his solution to get us there? Just what we've been saying, the hardships and so on. But ultimately what his solution, of course, is, is he's going to make us... He's going to make us like him by giving us himself. And that doesn't mean just on the cross. That again, the cross is so beautiful and so wonderful. Don't ever misunderstand what is being said here. Don't ever think that I'm minimizing the cross and the need for the cross. But what I'm trying to say is the cross is still just a sign. Pointing you to something more, something deeper. Pointing you to something better. Pointing you to something you don't even know and you can't even imagine. 
And it's so wonderful. Because what it is, it's him and us. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, my father will love him and we will come and make our home with him. That's unbelievable. The creator's going to come make his home in you. That's ridiculous. I want to show you something even more ridiculous. You are truly him. The cottonwood and the oak tree. He's put his nature inside of you. You are a vessel that's going to be able to handle this. He's going to be able to put himself in there and it's going to grow you up and there's going to be all kinds of things that happen because of it and everything else. But the bottom line is, is he's going to make you like him to where you can dance fully and richly as the boy, not just the wooden figure. Satan replied to Job, yeah, but Job has good reason to fear you, God. You always put a wall of protection around him in his home and his property. You've made him to prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out, reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. If Satan was right, we're all lost. Job is the first book ever written because God was showing mankind that there's always something more going on than what you get. So keep trusting. Keep loving. God's bigger than all of it. Losing everything. See, when God starts to put himself in you, now he's fulfilling his purpose, which was what? To be with you. To raise you up and make you like him so that you can truly have a relationship. Said another way, we start in the garden, but praise God, we end in heaven. (laughs) We start in the garden. The serpent says, you won't die. Now that was a lie. That was a flat out lie. But here's what's interesting about the way that Satan lies to you. A lot of times it has a lot of truth in it. The next thing he says, got a lot of truth in it. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now here's where that's true. As a naive, as the two-year-old who doesn't know good and evil, although two years old might be a little old for human beings, right? As the one-year-old who knows no good and evil, I think that's, you know, we got to... 15, 16 month year old, and you can already see her really contemplating whether or not to do what mom says, <laughs> right? So it kicks in pretty early, <laughs> right? But as the one year old who just trusts and loves and that's it, there has to come an awareness and there is an awareness. And when we get that awareness, we do become more like God. That's actually true. How horrible that we became aware of good and evil. How much better if we'd have just stayed in a pure place? How horrible. But the thing about God is he's a resurrection God. He takes the worst thing that could ever happen and he turns it into something that couldn't have happened unless the worst thing happened. By the way, is it to be like God to just know good and evil? That's something that he does and we discovered. But is that actually what it is to be like him? Not even close. You know what it is to be like him? It's to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one in love in the dance. That's what it is to be like God. That's that's what Satan left out. You're going to be like him because you're going to know good and evil, and so you'll be more wise. 
I don't know about you, but who the heck gives a crap about wise? Not to say we shouldn't be. But what I want to be is in love. <laughs> I want to be in the dance. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. I want you to, I want you to, I'm going to give you one time where the Bible is trying to tell us about incredible things that are going to come that we cannot really imagine. It's using language to try and help us understand it. But again, it's describing something that can't really be described. So close your eyes and I want you to listen and imagine this description from Revelation. Then I looked and I saw a door standing open in heaven and the same voice I heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here and I will show you what, what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones. Hear the language? As gemstones. It's not that they were gemstones. That's the sign. That's the language that's pointing to the deeper reality. It's just a brilliance. Like Jasper and Carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Picture that. 24 thrones surrounded him. 24 elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white, had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. And in another place it'll explain that that's us. We're that sea. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living beings was like, like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. The fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings and their wings were covered all over with eyes. Inside and out, day after day and night after night, they kept on saying, those who could see everything kept on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased just want you to open your eyes. I hope you entered into what John was feeling and sensing and he was trying to describe something that he had not adequate words for because it was so far beyond anything he'd ever seen. He had no way of properly communicating it, but he had some corollaries and he was going after this moment in heaven. And can you understand these elders who were the, the righteous, most righteous men and the, the leaders and all this kind of stuff. And when they sit there, even they are sitting in awe awe. Every moment, awe. Surpassing, transcendent. Oh my gosh. Do you see it? Look, the way it says is now we see in a mirror dimly. We have some correlate. We have some thoughts. But all of these things that we see are signs trying to point us to something more. But then we're going to be face to face in a dance. 
Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. This passage is so important because you can't understand this. The city doesn't need sun or moon for light. God's glory is its light. The lamb, its lamp. What does that mean? When Moses wanted to see, he got to know God pretty well. And he realized that he was just seeing what God was letting him see. What God was presenting to himself as Moses, as God. And he realized that there's much more to God. And he said, I want to see the more. I want to see who you really are. God's response was, you can't and live. But I'll tell you what I'll do for you. I'll put you in a cleft of a rock. I'll put my hand, or cleft of a rock. I'll put my hand over it. I'll walk by you pronouncing my name. And as I am just getting far enough away, I'm going to pull my hand away. And you can look but for a moment on the backside of me. And when Moses did and he saw the glory of God, he fell down as though dead. And his face shone so badly that even when he came down from the mountain, the people in the camp said, put a veil over your face because we think we're going to die looking at you. Does that sound like something more than what we could know? Than what we think of? Than what we live in every day? Is this the God that you serve and that you, that you love? Is this who he really is? Or is, the one you, is he the one that you've anthropomorphized and made into your image so that you can have this relationship with him where it becomes about sin and about all kinds of other stupid stuff? What you do right and what you do wrong. Is the God that you have in your mind all the time this God? This transcendent God who says, you are not only going to be able to live now, you're literally going to live in my glory. Glory is a very great word. It means, it means there's weight. Glory is a word where it says there's light that has substantive aspect to it, element to it. And we are literally living in God. How do we get that? I have a really bad analogy, particularly because in a millennial age, it's so on PC. Because you can't take anybody from a primitive, quote unquote, culture. You can't even call it a primitive culture anymore. But you can't take somebody from, say, Mongolia, where they have never seen any technology or cities or anything anything of the modern era. Outer reaches Mongolia. And then you take that person and you put them in a jet and you fly them to New York City and now they're sitting in a city that's a canyon of towers and they, they walk into a movie theater and see images and they have a phone in their hand. <sighs> Here's this Christmas gift to you. Start living in what's real, even though you don't know it. Start living in the fullness of what God actually has. The thing, everything in this life is pointing to it. So quit looking at the sign thinking you know it. Start living in the truth 
that is beyond that sign, the truth that that sign's pointing to. Live in his glory. Because even though then we will be living in it physically, you can actually live there now. In fact, God's outside of time, so you're actually living in it right now. So live in it now. Don't let the cottonwood mess you up. Live in the fullness and the hope and the glory of God. And here's the last part of the gift to you. If you think this isn't possibly something that you can do, I want to show you this journey that God's been on because it's all his. Notice you're not the one doing any of this. <laughs> it's his purpose that's put into play. It's his problem that he's dealing with. It's his solution. And it's his glorious fulfillment. God's strong right arm has taken those whom he knows who know he, that you love him. And he's going to get you there. How's that for a Christmas gift? <laughs> he's going to get you there. You can live in it more and more by now. But even if you don't, it's okay. He's going to get you there. So Lord, in Jesus' most spectacular name, we just thank you and praise you. We lift you so high. We lift you. We, we don't lift you. You already lifted. We just get our minds around how high you really are, how glorious you really are, how magnificent you really are. We get our minds wrapped around a truth, a new truth, the gift that you're trying to give us today, and that is the glory of the Lord shown around the shepherds. And sure, there was something to be afraid of, but oh my gosh, it was something so much more to be in joy of. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, this congregation, this body, this family comes before you and we enter into the joy of the Lord in this. We enter into your glory. We ask you, God, to make this thing stick in us that forevermore we would have a new image of God, not one that was anthropomorphized, but one that is true, one that is so much more. And yet we have a glimpse of it and so we can live in the hope of it. So in Jesus' most spectacular name, thank you, God. Thank you, God. And thank you, God. Reach down in front of you and there's these two cups. In the lower cup is all this other stuff that we've always thought Christianity was, always, uh, was about. This stuff that was a lie from the pit of hell to take us off of the truth and get us into some perversion of the truth. Just like what happened to Eve. We've been listening to the wrong voice and we've been thinking it's about things that it's not. And we have, even though we had knew better, we have not lived and kept our minds on the things that you have revealed. Your glory, your love you holding on to us and getting us home. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We love you no matter what. And having lived in that other place, we put our finger in this cup and we break it saying, that, that stupid, that stinking thinking broke me. And so now I walk into and hold on to the truth that sets me free.
lift this cup up before Jesus, our Savior, who healed all of our brokenness. And take this cup with me, thanking him. Now in Jesus' holy and precious name, we lift up this cup in which is this glorious new life. And we say in Jesus' holy and most magnificent name, I want to live in the truth. I want to live in the fullness of the truth as much as I can get it. And I want to grow in it every single day in the joy and the glory and the fullness of God. That's what's in this cup. That's what you have for me. You've already got it. I just need to enter it. So in Jesus' name, we take this cup together saying that's the life I want. Ushers, can you come forward? <laughs>